This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of a very rainy Soho, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, Dave, it's great to be back. It, you be, love the rain. I, I do love the rain. It makes yeah. me feel alive. It does. I'm looking at your suntan, Dave. Oh, so suntan. I feel like I'm getting burnt just by proximity. Yeah, I went to Chicago uh, this weekend. Rog. I love that city. Yeah. Almost love. more than any other I've ever I lived know, in. I you love Chicago. I thought of you when I was there. Oh, talking about great cities. Yes. We pod with real sadness after the haunting brutality in Manchester. Another mm. city we love, Dave. A wonderful, swaggering city that's been plunged into senseless darkness. It's a remarkable place. A vibrant, vibrant city um, where it's almost its atmosphere is better. You, people often say to me, I'm going to Manchester. What should I go and see? And it's tough for me to think of it. It's just the whole atmosphere of Manchester is what makes it such a special place. And it's a city that gives joy to so many of our listeners on a weekly basis as a footballing epicenter but it is so much more than that a northern city that prides itself on its originality a cradle of the industrial revolution home of the first passenger railway Hmm. and i love this the world's first programmable computer it's a huge rival with liverpool the city in which I came of age. And growing up, I always found Manchester had just a staggeringly self-inflated sense of itself. But the honest truth was, much of what they told themselves about themselves was true. You couldn't really argue with it deep down. It is a city of doers, dreamers. It's got an amazing culture, style, history, oh, music, industry, invention. It's defiant. Both Liverpool and Manchester, they really could. They could both break off. And Liverpool, when I grew up, thought it might at one time. They could both break off from England and become their own city-states. And to everyone in the region listening, we send our love. Your pain was best articulated by the BBC broadcaster, Mark Chapman. Yeah, Chap is a big sports commentator. Covers the NFL uh, in Britain as well as uh, Premier League football. And he hails from Manchester, still lives there with his family, And he opened up his commentary of Manchester United's Europa League win over Ajax in this way. Human poetry. I'm proud to call Manchester my city, the place where I grew up, the place where I live, and the place where my family and my children go out, like so many did on Monday night and never came back. I love the place, and I'm in love with the place. The team here tonight are from that city, and many will want them to win for the city. Some fans of other clubs might not want them to win, but do you know what? In the context of football, that's fine, because football divides us, but only in a pantomime way. What unites all our great cities is love, friendship, community, and hopefully, opportunity. Only, and just indulge me this one line, when it comes to Manchester, as Tony Wilson said, we do things differently. (laughs) This is only a game of football. It doesn't really matter. I'll be honest with you. I don't massively want to be here. I want to be at home cuddling my kids and telling them that we'll go to the arena again to a gig and we'll sing and we'll dance, but we will never forget the victims of Monday night. But we are here, all of us here, and we will do our best to bring this to you as well as we possibly can, treating it as a football match with importance and with so much emotion for people back home. Beautiful, Rog. Tears. Mark Chapman, remarkable man. And listening to you, David, read that, 
Reminds me of the moment silence before the FA Cup this weekend. Rarely as a moment of silence said so much, reinforced by the roar that instantly followed it. So to Manchester and listeners, we should be careful of each other. We should be kind while there is still time. Tough week, Davo, because I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the death of Roger Moore. Oh, Roger's, a lot, of, a lot of Roger loss. Most of it quite good, but this one, terrible. It crushed me. I took it hard, Davo. We, we once had an argument on Men in Blazers. You told me, and I love this because I think it's so right, you told me that you can tell pretty much everything you need to know about a person by who their favourite James Bond is. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. And to me, yeah. hands down, I'll say this, Davo, Roger Moore, the greatest Bond. I think probably the reason that that shocked me is because the qualities that Roger Moore had <laughs> are so unlike <laughs> the qualities that you have. I see you as, I see you as much more of a brooding Daniel Craig than a, uh, than, than, than a Roger Moore. Sort of a happy-go-lucky, gentil homme. Um, you know, he was, the, he was the smooth Bond, the original smooth Bond, before Piers Brosnan inherited the Roger Moore mantle. He was so smooth. He was so good. The first Bond movie I ever went and saw at the cinema at the Studio 6 and 7 in Lewisham uh, was uh, Live and Let Die. Oh, what Still a movie. Been, ter- been terrified of snakes ever since. That was, I believe, the first Roger Moore Bond movie. Um, I think it was 1973, possibly. It's the first movie I ever saw at the cinema at the Studio 6 and 7. Live and Let Die. That was Roger Moore's first. Uh, and he therefore was the definitive Bond until I then watched Sean Connery who became, I like to feel that I'm more of a Sean Connery man myself, Rog. Uh, but Roger Moore, the definitive English gentleman. That's so, if it's about me, which I, I, this wasn't, I'm yeah. definitely more of a Lazenby type, one and out. <laughs> but yeah. if you only know a world with the Beatles and then you watch them on Ed Sullivan, a performance which changed the world, I don't think you fully understand their import and how they change the world unless you live that change. And for me, the same with Roger Moore. I came of age with Moore as James Bond. And he was what I knew. He defined the role to me, and I adored him. I mean, now when I watch him, he is hilarious to watch. But to seven-year-old child Rog, he defined every notion that I had of suave. And when I watched Sean Connery, it was just wrong. He just wasn't doing it right. It wasn't winking enough. He wasn't cheesy enough. He wasn't taking enough punches. It was way too Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's possible to be too Scottish. It really isn't. Oh, God. Yeah, Stevie Naismith for the next Bond. But I love the tributes to him upon this passing. His co-star in Live and Let Die, Jane Seymour, mourned him by telling the world that he was a great kisser. Mm. I'd love someone to say that about me the day I die. <laughs> Amazing interview. I Did read. say it about Lazenby? A tongue like a pistol. But there was a great interview with... Roger Moore from 2009 that I read upon this passing. He asked the photographer in it if he wants him to do angry eyebrows or seductive ones. Mm. God, I wish I had seductive eyebrows, Davo. Mm. But he said, I'm the worst Bond, according to the internet. Generally hated. I was too funny, too light. Didn't take it seriously enough. But I mean, this is a man who's supposed to be a spy. And yet he turns up in bars and hotels around the world and everyone says... Oh, Mr. Bond, we've been expecting you, chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. And Roger Moore says, everybody knows who he is, and even when he wants to drink. To me, he was the most rational Bond, and that's what I loved about him, David. And a Roger, Rog, yeah, which another you must Roger. have related to 
uh, very, very deeply. Which is one of the few good ones. It is the name of unbelievable evil human beings. There's Roger Bannister. A great man. Not evil. Clemens. Yeah. Goodell. Yeah. Ailes. Yeah. Ailes is passing. I think I've bumped up the list of most evil Rogers in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also nicest Rogers. You've no, bumped up that list as well. Still way down. Still yeah. way down that list. I will say, Roger Moore's Bond, I've pondered it this week since his passing. It's frightening how much of my identity that man actually did define. Mm. Like it just everything I know about suaveness, of sophistication. For a boy growing up in Liverpool in the 1980s, Roger Moore, he was the man. What's your favourite? Roger Moore Bond movie. I love Roger. Moonraker. Moonraker. Yeah, it's just such a sexy movie, but Live and Let Die was yeah. proper frightening. Yeah, it's classic. Okay. <sighs> Two Roger. pieces of housekeeping. Oh, go ahead. I love housekeeping. We're headed to England. We are? Shortly. Yeah, with Look. producer J-Dubs. Am I going? For the historic first time that you and I have ever been in England together before. Wow, I've dreamt it. I always imagine when we first went to England, we'd parachute out the back of a uh, military jet and mm. save the country together on Look, special ops. NBC Sports are handling our travel. Could yeah. still happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't fail to save yeah. the nation, but God, we'd have a lot of fun trying. Yeah. We're going slightly lesser. We're going to cover the open. Yeah. GFOPs around Royal Birkdale. Please be warned. Yeah. And we've also taped a glut of pod content for the coming weeks. Uh, so heads up, look out for that fantastic interview. Despite the fact that I was in it with the co-creator and star of Netflix's much buzzed about hit, Fowder. Mm. Amazing man, power bald, yep. Leo Raz, mm. which dropped last week. Looks Love. a lot like our friend Bloomface. He does. We've got a, we have a, a television producer friend, the man who actually made Being Liverpool, right? Yeah, exactly. Davo's longtime friend. Yeah. Only slightly ruined Fowder for me. Yeah. That I kept thinking this middle-aged Wonderful, but middle-aged, kind of slightly worn yeah. um, Fox television producer who created Being Liverpool was out there kicking ass uh, in the Middle East. It's it possible. slightly unbelievable. It's possible. But Leo Raz, God, he's cut, and he was fantastic, and I'd learned a lot by listening to him. And this week, mm. on Thursday, we've only got oh, Mexican national team coach Juan Carlos Osorio coming into pod. Yeah. I love Osorio. Oh, he's coming here to talk about his quite amazing career journey. Mm. This was a bloke, by the way. And this will give a lot of you out there listening hope for your own future as the manager of the Mexican national team. Mm. Age 37, David. Do you know mm. what he was doing? What? He was a conditioning coach for the Staten Island Vipers. Wow. In the A-League. Wow. Hope for all of us, mate. Yeah. Uh, we also discussed the fast upcoming US-Mexico clash at the Azteca and the breadth and depth of his green tie collection, which I've long admired. That will drop this week. Brilliant. Okay, we've got a packed show, Rog. We're going to break down Arsenal's FA Cup win over... What? Over Chelsea at Wembley. And the news just across... (laughs) I missed that. I missed that. And the news just across the crap part of Soho Wire. Arsene Wenger, Rog, will be back, back, back at the Emirates for two more years. We hold three fingers in the air and jump up and down while recapping (laughs) Man United's Europa League title... And we welcome new friends, Huddersfield Town, to the Premier League party. Plus, the Terriers. a tearful goodbye from Italian legend Francesco Totti, Christian Pulisic's German Cup glory, and the US Under-20 World Cup team reach the big boy knockout rounds. Oh, fantastic team. Wonderful to watch. To the Guinness, Dave. Yeah, to the Guinness, to the football. And I'd like to raise a glass to the two men, Ricky John Best. Age 53, a military veteran, 
and Talaisin Merdin Namkai Mesh, just 23, who lost their lives, who were murdered on the Portland commuter train. Both men, unbelievable heroes. They both make you wonder what you're willing to do with your life, with your actions. And I raise my Guinness to their memory with Talaisin's last words. Tell everyone on this train, I love them. Oh, brave, brave men. To life. Rog. Okay, to the football, Rog. First off, the FA Cup final. Arsenal 2, Chelsea 1. Arsene Wenger's men jumped out to an early lead via a controversial Alexis Sanchez goal, even after Victor Moses was sent off in the 68th minute. It was his best moment of the game, actually. Chelsea <laughs> found a way back into the game via snarling striker Diego Costa. But just three minutes after Diego's goal, with the game tied at one, Aaron Ramsey put obit editors at Celebrity Rags around the world on notice, heading in the winner and capping off a cracking game of Football Association football, Rog. Yes. Yes, indeed. What a clash. A team that had regenerated seemingly in the course of one season, returning to dominance by doing what? Changing their manager. Facing a team who've seemingly lost their way in the woods since 2004, while stubbornly holding on to theirs. Arsene Wenger, who spent the pre-game sounding more and more like an Arthur Miller character. I believe there is a difference between being criticised and being treated in a way that human beings don't deserve to be treated. I will never forget that. Which is essentially, I want my name back. He's Alsatian Willie Loman. He was actually truly on dystopian, <laughs> apocalyptic form. Did you see what he talked about, quote, the grim future that lay ahead when he said, maybe we'll have a robot on the bench who will make the decisions and the computer will analyse exactly what decisions he makes during the game. You might not even have human beings on the bench anymore. He's going to some dark places. Was he saying David. this was a bad thing? I, th- I, th- <laughs> I thought, I got to say, it, it was, this is Cronky's idea. David and I both agree <laughs> to computers and robots yeah. that are listening. We yeah, both agree exactly. you are going to become our overlords. Yeah. Thank you. Why not in football? I mean, James yeah. Milner, already the world's first unit protocol droid. Mm. So with Wenger walking around, just soiling himself at every opportunity pre-game, you have to say, David, very few foresaw anything but a Chelsea victory in this game. Arsenal's chances seemed cannon fodder. So the opening act, it was a stunning piece of plot development. I mean, Arsene, with his experience uh, in English football, in FA Cup finals, made a lot of decisions which had the pundits scratching their heads before the game. But they turned out to be excellent. And Antonio Conte playing the final, going with his trusted, going with the same men who had delivered him the Premier League title... Uh, didn't seem to adjust quite as well to FA Cup final football. Yeah, this was Ned Stark beheading opening, Dave. Fourth minute. It was an odd goal, but they all count. <laughs> You've seen them given, but not many of them given like this. And in the, in the rather comical way in which it was given, uh, Sanchez breaks through, two arms in the air, touches the ball, contact certainly to the referee, seemed incidental, uh, didn't seem anything <laughs> extraordinary, breaks forward. Two players seem to be uh, going for the ball. One of them in an offside position steps out of Ramsey. the way, Ramsey, and Alexis Sanchez powers it past uh, Thibaut Courtois. Well, I mean, actually, he doesn't really power it. He sort of slices deft. it the outside of his foot. Oh, it seemed to be finish. intentional. It was a deaf finish. It really was. Assistant but... ref raises, raises his flag and uh, goal given. There was a bit of consulting on the yeah. sideline, like the Washington Ninth Circuit. Yeah. But then goal! Yeah. Yes! I mean, wow, uh, you've got to play to the referee's whistle, Chelsea bat line, not the linesman's flag. But at Sports Bystander, I had another read on what was going on. He said Premier League scriptwriters doing everything they can to keep Wenger at Arsenal. 
which is there's probably a huge element of truth in that. I've got to congratulate Alexis Sanchez. There's several reasons the goal could have been uh, taken out, but I always admire any athlete who can play the sport they play like a quarterback charging downfield in an attempt to catch his own pass. And that's what he did. I mean, Alexis ran into the box to crop up on the end of his own through ball and then finish in style. And yeah, there was chaos that ensued, but for that alone, I would reward the goal. I loved also Wenger's little kind of bombets for Uncle Jig at the on the sideline. And I felt for him, David. My instant instinct was to feel for Wenger because I went to watch Everton play Chelsea in the 2009 FA Cup final. Super hot day. Miserable outcome. But the game kicked off and Everton's Louis Saha scored after 25, 25 seconds. Somehow Everton found a way to still lose 2-1. And I thought, Wenger, you bloody fool. 21 years as Arsenal manager. And you've still not heard of the concept of too soon. An Arsenal goal, legitimate or not, that seemed dictionary definition too soon, right, David? Hard for me to, uh, to criticise the Chelsea defence too much for not obeying the assistant rest flag. Hard for me to justify uh, Anthony Taylor's decision to, uh, to, to award that goal. And yet, I will say, for the first 25 minutes of this game, Arsenal was so all over Chelsea. How Chelsea were not four goals down uh, by the 25-minute mark, I will never understand. And my feeling is, had they not scored that way, they would have scored some other way in those first 25 minutes. That's very a generous dominant, of you. Very was a dominant. You're a big man. No, it was a dominant opening performance uh, by Arsenal. Some great individual performances. Danny Welbeck, a player I like. A player I like. I think the best pressing, defending uh, attacker in English football. He's just an amazing defender. Unfortunately, that's not his position, but he is an amazing defender. Amazing player without the ball, Danny Welbeck. I thought he was great. Murta Saka, superb anytime Chelsea got a sniff on goal. And Arsenal fluid, passes flying around the field, two foot, like reading each other's running, great movement between the lines. Ozil Sanchez. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Welbeck, that trident just confused Chelsea. They did find so much space in front of that back three. Twice Cahill, brainless, Yet heroic, cleared the ball off the line. He normally, somebody... he normally finishes those, days. No, but how could somebody... But he does clear a lot of balls off the line. It's just the oddest thing in Cahill's mind. He can both score on goals from range and clear uh, balls off his own line, like within inches of his own line. It's just very, very hard to understand He's a that synapsing man. Westworld host. It's all about the programming. I've got to ask you, though, Chelsea, all season long, we've seen Chelsea behave certain ways when they concede. They come back with the fury of Glenn Close and Cleats. They really do. All season, that has been their hallmark. They don't lose. You can punch them. They take the punch. They come back at you with more. But in this FA Cup final, Chelsea didn't respond. They were so sluggish. How did you understand that, David? Well, look, I mean, I'll give you my... In order to do that, I've got to sort of give away my global theory about this entire game, which is it's remarkable that Chelsea, down to 10 men in the second half, for a good part of the second half only lost this game 2-1. And that actually would speak to some of the resilience because they were outplayed for this entire game for long stretches. They did have chances to score. I think a number of players, Pedro certainly missed you know, more than one chance. They all missed chances to go and score. It was a thrilling game of football, up and down for the, in, for the entire time. Chelsea, though, had a few key players who really not only didn't show up, they showed up and just played Worse than I've seen them play all season. Matic played worse than he's played all season. Moses, I mean, a terrible performance from the beginning of the entire game. Um, Azpilicueta not quite looking himself 
out on the field. Um, just a lot of them didn't really distinguish themselves. Hassard went sort of, you know, invisible again. It was like two, early 2015-16 Hazard for some periods of the game. And it just they just didn't all show up. Not all of them. Some of them played very well, but a few key players didn't show up. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. Um, and hard to read into it. But you've got to give... You can spend too much time taking it all away from Chelsea in this game. I actually think you've got to give Arsenal, those players, that manager, that team a hell of a lot of credit. They played incredibly well against Chelsea. And this season, when teams have played incredibly well against Chelsea, it's either been very close or they've beaten them. I think Chelsea, you know this is true, they've just not been the same team since Matt Miazga left. But for me, watching this <laughs> They game, won the Premier League, other watching, than that. Watching that game in the first half, it was like watching a remake of like Big or Face Off, one of those transference movies. Like, you know, impotent Chelsea were playing just like Arsenal. Arsenal were playing... Like dominant Chelsea. It, it was as uh, one of our listeners at, at Jedi Master Roman tweeted, Freaky Friday, FA Cup final edition. Oh, a final edition in which really, as you say, Arsenal could have, should have scored two or three goals. And with every Arsenal miss, you were still lulled into a sense that Chelsea were going to dig deep and yeah. find a way to do them. Every miss brought with it a sense of Arsenal's potency for one second, mm. but then a deeper sense of an eerie foreboding, a foreshadowing that Chelsea were going to snap back. Uh, Costa began to snarl and hiss. Yeah. There was, he tested the patchy Arsenal back three. Mm. There was one lovely moment when he missed a real chance and the camera cut to Antonio Conte uh, on the sideline. You didn't have to be a pro-lit reader to see him scream, Mamma Mia! <laughs> the most Italian thing he could have done, but I guess rowing a gondola up and down the sideline. <laughs> oh, but bloody hell. He's not from that part of Italy, Rod. <laughs> Is that why he didn't do it? Yeah. There's a rational reason yeah. why he didn't row the gondola <laughs> yeah. up and down yeah. the... Wow. Also, there wasn't a canal on the sideline. He must have laid into those lads at halftime, because in the second half, yeah, they, they really came out with a snarl. Yeah, no, they came back playing uh, much stronger football. Arsenal seemed to sit a little deeper. Suddenly the passes weren't uh, falling to foot in the way they had in the first half. And Chelsea started putting, you know, putting it together a little bit more. Uh, they know what's going to happen. They know they've got good players on the bench. They know they're going to go and get replaced if they're not playing very well. But I've got, you've got to credit yeah. that Arsenal back three because mm. when tested, they did respond with a plump. I thought, yeah. as you said, Murtasaka. What a game. God, love Fantastic to come out game. of... The much maligned Murtasaka to come out of a long spell out of injury and perform when everyone doubted him so phenomenally. A true gutsy FA Cup final performance that I thought was remarkable. But then, woof, enter Victor Moses. Well, and Victor Moses had actually entered uh, right at the beginning of the game, but he hadn't acquitted himself uh, I think someone well. had rebooted him back to his Stoke at City well. settings ahead of this game. Yeah, he picked up one yellow card uh, at the, for earlier on in the second half for a, yeah, for a, a pretty cynical uh, foul, even though I must object the fact that Ozil was not carded for that foul. It wasn't even called a foul for that foul on Azar. Oh, by the way, all blonde and tan. That was boy band measure. Yeah. Look gorgeous. Maybe that's why he didn't get, didn't get called for the foul. Uh, and then Moses takes a, I would say, a... 
not the worst dive you've ever seen, but a pretty bad standard issue. It was just, it wasn't even a good piece of acting. That's what I hated about it. It was top 10 worst Vic Moses dive. Oh, yeah, it was a poor... the top 10. It was a really poor dive right in front of the referee, cutting to the same side. Most players who dive have the guile to do it on the blind side of the referee around the other side of the defender. He literally did it. He couldn't have got closer to Anthony Taylor, like in the perfect range away from him, uh, and took the dive. And I don't think the referee really had any choice but to send him off. A courageous decision still, though, by Powerball Anthony Taylor. Well, I think had he realised that the Moses... Off in the FA Cup I final. think, well, only five people have ever been sent off in the FA Cup final. I think if he'd have realised... I mean, the way it happened, you could sort of tell that he was giving him a yellow card and then somebody's in his ear and he's got to go and hand out a second one. But uh, you know what? I don't think Victor Moses can really have any complaints. Idiotic. Unnecessary. Unbelievable. And Chelsea were coming back into the game. The only at that way point. you could mitigate it would be yeah. to say that it was the day before he was getting married. Poor sod, his mind was probably elsewhere in terms of the decision making. But when he went off, you were really like, what can go wrong now, Arsenal fans? Nothing. Mm. But what? Diego Costa. Always competes. It's you know, Even if you hate him, you've just got to give him this. He competes so hard all the time. This is a goal we've seen him score before. The ball comes in. He controls it on his chest. You, you scream handball, but then you watch the replay and you realise it wasn't. And he brings the ball down. Fantastic first touch and he finishes. Yeah, I mean, God, he just carved McGrath's his way into the box. The Guardians, Barney Rene before the game, just summed him up beautifully. He called him a Sicario, a footballing Sicario, and it is him to a T. He's, he's like a, an athlete ripped from the extras cast of Narcos, and Chelsea just kept dumping that ball into him. Here he had two Arsenal defenders on him, and he totally fancied his chances. He bodied them like an NBA player. I'm sure there was a pair of nunchakers somewhere in there. Mm. And then he spanked the ball home off the ground, possibly a deflection. Classic, classic Costa. And wow, I'm going to say this, Davo. I'm going to miss that man if he goes to China. Because what a spaghetti western of a footballer he is. He's the good, he's the bad, and always the ugly. So, I, I am so fond of that, man. Yeah, no, he's a, and he's a great footballer. I know you're saying it for slightly different reasons, but he's a superb footballer. He's a brilliant Premier League competitor. He competes, he competes, he competes uh, so hard. Uh, How did you feel at this moment? Because to me, this was a movie that we've seen so many times before. Chelsea... They were going to do this, right? Late Gary Cahill goal off corner scraps, right? I'm trying to remember the last time that Chelsea came back from one goal down with only 10 men against uh, top six opposition and won the game. It's actually never happened. So my feeling was it was great that Costa had scored. But honestly, at this point, I thought, oh, we equalised too early. Our only chance would have been to have equalised, you know, in the... 89th minute and to go and force it because Arsenal still had the man advantage having said that I didn't realize quite how quickly Arsenal would go and hit back because frankly Chelsea had looked quite good ever since they'd got Moses off and had been down to 10 men yeah I mean the plot twist no one saw coming Arsenal spine Arsenal courage Arsenal guts yeah what I mean Wenger well Arsenal had always had already tackled a few times in this in this game used to all of next season's allotment of tackles Oh, Xhaka was phenomenal yeah, in this great, game. Credit that bloke. Wenger responded by throwing on Giroud. And his <laughs> impact was immediate. Within 36 seconds, Troncis, as he would say, swept in across the kind of cross that he normally likes to nod home himself. Yeah. But it was Ramsey who yeah. dropped his baity Welsh forehead yeah. onto that ball. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. What a phenomenal goal. Not just 
in terms of the scoreline, but in terms of the symbolism for a team who are oft accused of being spineless, gutless, wilting, feeble, a team that crumbles, to immediately respond like that was absolutely humanly magnificent. It was like Arsenal, as if produced kind of Johnny Cash style by Rick Rubin in the Def Jam Studios, a very different, stripped-down, dominant, potent Arsenal. And still, I agree, and still it wasn't over. Uh, the game was still cracking. Chelsea still had chances. Diego had a chance to have a statue built of him and put in front of Stamford Bridge next to Peter Osgood. Uh, he had a golden opportunity, made a great move, uh, got through on goal, uh, and unfortunately hit it straight at Ospina. <sighs> yeah, if they but would a- have made that, that statue, they should have got Ronaldo's sculptor to do a sculpture of Diego. It would actually look unbelievably handsome, bizarrely. Yeah. That's how odd the, the sculpture would look. Great game of football at the end. Um, Courtois... Uh, made a couple of outstanding saves. Ospina made some great saves. End-to-end stuff. What you really want out of an FA Cup final is sort of a classic, classic end-to-end encounter with storylines all over the park. But Arsenal, hold on, Rog. Their day, Arsenal's happiness, and so richly deserved all season long, he suffered, which makes that joy all the sweeter. To see Wenger smile again, I honestly didn't think I'd see that in my lifetime. (laughs) Smile that reminded you that despite his seeming fragility, he's a fighter, Wenger, an erudite fighter. He's a man who's suffered. And then he's changed his system and won. Won a lot down the back of this season in the face of widespread scorn. Seven FA Cup wins now, the most by any manager. Three FA Cups in four years. That's not nothing, right, Dave? I mean, it's like Mike Hessman, the slugger who holds a record for minor league home runs, 433. Also not nothing. I question on a deeper level how significant this is for Arsenal Football Club and how significant this is for Arsene Wenger. But at the same time, on, a, on the day of the match feeling, at the end, when Arsenal are lifting that trophy, it feels very significant for Arsenal Football Club and very significant for Arsene Wenger. I do think there's a question, a number of questions, Why not every week like this, Arsenal? Because so many of those performances were absolutely phenomenal. But Yeah, they have played like this this season. This this isn't a completely, you know, uh, off-the-charts performance for Arsenal. They are capable of playing like this, and they have played like this. But that trophy, it's still a fig leaf, David. I mean, it's an emotional fig leaf. Gets them into the community shield, Rog. (sighs) Yeah, but this whole game was just a, a prequel for the big one. Chelsea versus Arsenal again. I can barely wait. But this, this win, it can barely mask just the, the rational change that still needs to be made at that club. Massive change across North London. I, mean, I was looking when they, when they gave the trophy. Oh, I thought, oh, poor Emirates Kremlinologist. Watching Ozil and Wenger standing by each other when the trophy was presented and one of the players handed it to Wenger and Ozil doesn't even look at him, doesn't even share his joy, can't bring himself to turn around or even interact with Wenger. And I'm sure I know a lot of Arsenal fans are decoding that. Ozil totally blanked Arsene. But the media is now going to lock on to the internecine battle between Arsenal's board members, as well as their efforts to build a backroom management team around Wenger and limit his power, something which, God love him, old Wenger resists with the old school contempt and all his Gallic might. Reports now circulating as we pod and will probably break tomorrow morning of a new two-year deal for Arsene Wenger. It's going to be fascinating to see the Blood fam's uh, reaction to that news. 
on, in a gut way, Davo, you do think it's going to be no change, and no change for Arsenal is probably more of the same. Yeah, so in that way, a very significant uh, result for Arsenal, if it helps aid no change. Uh, and in the grand scheme of things, look, I'm not going to uh, run away from this. This was a disappointment for Chelsea. It's very rare to go and win the double in football. Kind of like winning the triple crown for a horse. It's very difficult. Very, very tough to win the double. I'm talking about the classic double in football, to win the league and to win the FA Cup. The FA Cup final comes at the end of the league. Very tough to motivate yourself. But this was a Chelsea team capable of doing it. A Chelsea team well coached, very good players, a team that will be very disappointed a manager who will be very disappointed to have been outplayed on the day by their London rivals. Did it hurt though, David? It, it did sting. Hurt. You no. won the one that mattered, right? Look, you know, when JJ won the parent-child alternate shot on Sunday you for the second time, uh, believe me, it had all gone uh, by that point when she made the eight-foot putt in the final green to make it. Are you talking about the eight-foot putt that the whole sports world is buzzing about? Double breaker. Had to hit it firm. Uh, but it was a... Uh, yeah, it definitely did hurt partly because it was Arsenal. You wanted to go and beat Arsenal. And partly because the disappointing... Chelsea were very, very close. They were outplayed, but they were very, very close to getting back into this game, even with 10 men. They fought very hard. I think I was disappointed that so many players, not just Victor Moses, and look, we don't want to kill these players. He had an outstanding season. Matic actually bounced back and had a very, very good season. Scored the goal in the... Um, you know, that's very, very significant goal in the semi-final against, against Tottenham that seemed to sort of you know, put the, uh, put the ribbon on, on Chelsea's season. Tough to criticise these players, but I was disappointed that some of those players didn't show up in such a big game. And I sort of wish, but this is hindsight, you know what, what Arsene did, I alluded to it earlier, by making some bold selections before the game. Just got his team up and ready for it. Um, you know, not easy to leave Giroud on the bench. Not easy to select Welbeck ahead. Not easy to bring Mertesacker back, who's barely played. Not easy to put Ospina instead of Czech. I wish that Conte had just experimented with, you know, maybe Chalobah could have played. Maybe Fabregas could have played from the start. Like, we could have seen something a little bit different for Chelsea in this game. Double M. Matt Miazga. <laughs> yeah, I don't to, know. Is he recalled from loan yet? To me, the contest that's more important than the FA Cup, if I was a Chelsea fan, is the Cold War arms race that's already brewing with a summer transfer window. Opened and then some. Manchester City going in hard and fast for Bernardo Silva, the midfield dynamo from Monaco. And the world record 45 million transfer fee on goalkeeper Edison, uh, whom they'll no doubt break shortly after receipt. But that is the battle that I would be locked on big time. But let's cap the FA Cup with this moment I enjoyed most pre-game. Chelsea Football Club proudly and rather randomly tweeting this message from American Rockers. Kiss. Hey, congratulations to Chelsea FC, our favorite football team on winning the title. Good luck in the FA Cup final. Let's go for the double. Rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Oh, that tweet, Davo, quite literally proved to be the kiss of death. One <laughs> <laughs> in a, a, a long line of, uh, of, of bizarre American uh, pop music endorsements of, of, of English soccer teams to which they have absolutely no allegiance whatsoever. When Everton get into the round of 16 of the Europa League, yeah. we'll probably have like Backman-Turner Overdrive. Hey, Everton, it's Backman-Turner Overdrive saying, well done in your Europes. Yeah. Keep it up, man, and keep rocking. Uh, well played, Arsenal. Uh, you won the trophy. Not necessarily the trophy you wanted this year. I know you wanted the fourth place trophy. 
But well done. That look on your face. Well done. When you're patronizing Arsenal, it's like when you pat me on the ball. Uh, this, this is my other mates. I'm patting <laughs> on their head right now. I'm patting their heads. Well Talking done. about the Europe. Well done, Arsenal. Great season. Keep Arsene Wenger. Keep him, keep him for as long as possible, Talk, I say. Talking about the Europe. Yes, in the Europa League final, uh, Rog. Ajax nil, Man United 2. Very odd final. Jose Mourinho adds European football's NIT equivalent Woo! to his list of trophies for the season. A first half Paul Pogba deflected bank shot and an acrobatic Zlatan-esque uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan finish from corner scrap. See United clinch a spot in next year's Champions League in what was an emotionally taught game played out against widespread mourning in the city of Manchester. Oh, yeah, I mean, the all minds were still on that open wound of the Manchester terrorist atrocity. In the run-up to the game, it was understandably tentative. There's just moments when football... It's made you feel utterly irrelevant by just the, the the surrounding context. Like when the Dortmund bus was attacked on the eve of the Champions League quarterfinal that they were then forced to play. Well done, UEFA, even though they were clearly in no fit mind to do so. So the reality of this game, I've got to say, it felt different, though. Daniel Harris wrote in the New Statesman to sum it up. He said, rarely has it mattered so little if Manchester United won, but rarely... Has it been so special that they did? And the game, more than anything, it did feel like a modicum of release. The symbolic power of the result rather than the on-field competition is going to be the lasting memory. Much of what's good about the experience of football, what football offers to fans, what football offers to society, just bubbled forth. I mean, the game, we've always said it's the most important triviality in the world. Yet when you watch it, when you experience it, when you commune with it, it, it does offer a comfortable embrace, familiarity, local pride, the connection to family, to friends, to community, and the feelings of warmth, happiness, good, and love. And that's what really stuck out last Wednesday. As uh, Mark Chapman uh, said, football divides us, but only in a pantomime way. I always cheer for uh, British teams when they're playing in European competitions. Wouldn't uh, go that far. I cheered very, very hard for Manchester in this game, even more so because of the events in Manchester last Monday. Um, and frankly, I don't know how hard I really had to cheer for them because Ajax really didn't show up for this one. Yeah, United were comfortable winners. They really weren't threatened. Ajax, once great Dutch power, who've stopped their own decline, mostly by savvily uncovering talent in the transfer market and resummoning an almost naive faith in attacking football. The same kind of traits that United actually crave right now. Their starting 11 cost $19 million. United's was $330 million. Yeah. Um, the difference is Ajax will sell those for $330 million. <laughs> You've got to credit Jose Mourinho in this, though. He's a finals winner. Oh, he's, he's good at finals. He's lifted silverware in 12 of the 14 finals he's experienced. Does that include Community Shields? <sighs> I think 13 of them yeah. are Community Shields. And from kickoff, there was no doubt his team were locked into this game, tactically committed to the game plan. Paul Pogba delivered. And by delivered, I mean took a weak shot that snuck in via heavy <laughs> deflection. Mkhitaryan, smart, smart finish. In truth, Ajax a damp squib, so disappointed that United could voluntarily go down to 10 men by bringing on Wayne Rooney and still dominate comfortably. I did love it. I had the Ajax manager after the game. If that is his last game in a United shirt, how dare you? And how dare that be the final thing you say about Rooney at Man United after that <laughs> career? But they go down to 10 men when Wayne Rooney, their legend, comes on. Please, Everton, oh my word. please don't to do be it. English. To please be English. don't do it. As, oh. a, as a footballing spectacle, it was also very conquer cafe. Yeah, 
No one will remember that. Jose Mourinho summed it all up beautifully. He said, there are so many poets in football, but poets, they don't win too many titles. <laughs> what was fascinating was watching Mourinho operate in victory on the winner's podium. Yeah. And we put this on our Twitter. It was amazing. In an arch, an arch Mourinho moment, he went around the squad as they were about to lift the cup and ordered his team. I saw Herrera was very keen to comply to his wishes, like a good schoolboy. He ordered his team to raise three fingers in the air in their mm. joy. It, it, to me, my first gut was he wanted to force newspapers when they ran that photograph to celebrate United's, quote, treble on their back pages. That treble would be the Community Shield, the League Cup, and the Europa Cup. The crappest treble, possibly... Of all time, at Senor Swang tweeted us and said, if you'd won a real treble, would you need to be reminded of that fact? It was amazing, David. Yeah, but also very aware that his uh, former employers uh, in West London were standing on the brink of winning the double at that point. And so obviously he wants to stick it to Roman Abramovich <sighs> and to Antonio Conte. Remember, who he, had, he, had, he had words with earlier in the season about the proper way uh, to celebrate victory. He's, he's been reminded, Antonio Conte, the proper way to celebrate <laughs> victory. And so what, they had a chance to win the double. He wanted to basically kill it for them before it even happened. I mean, it's astonishing. I've got a mother-in-law. I love you if you're listening, mother-in-law. No one in the world, I thought, had Did a better her name? awareness. <laughs> Honourable mother-in-law yeah, okay, is what I call her. Okay. But she's got an unbelievable awareness that history is told almost exclusively by photographs. It, it, it doesn't matter <laughs> how your relationship is with your grandchildren when they're actually young. Yeah. As long as you grab them on their birthdays, the moment the cake appears and stick them on your knee. As long as you are in the photograph smiling and you'll be in all those photographs, your children will see those photos when they are older and just assume you were always there for them. In the same way as my mother-in-law. Are you going to let this out on the pod? What? This thing that you're saying She's right now. She's a fantastic mother-in-law. But <laughs> Mourinho is hyper-aware that the sponsors, United's official banking, their beer, their noodle partners around the world, <laughs> they just want a photograph that screams treble winners. They don't actually care. They don't care. In their brochures, David, yeah. they don't care what the trophies are. Yeah. As long as we're saying we're treble In winners. In the PowerPoint, it's going to be that picture, yeah. and it's going to talk about the treble. Yeah. And probably one of my six-year-old son on his birthday. Yeah. With my honourable mother-in-law. But the Europa title, this is what's amazing. Yeah. Jose Mourinho had often said he'd be ashamed to win that trophy. It yeah. was below him. He said in the past that the community shield is a joke. So I, th I have thought a lot. And I think your, your Chelsea argument is, is, is fascinating. It was aimed at Stamford Bridge. Why would he celebrate so unabashedly? Why would he do so and risk the easy mirth? What was driving that? Can David? I just correct one thing, but not correct it, but give you a slightly different opinion on one thing? Yeah, I certainly I'm not going to argue argue that the Community Shield is a um, is a very valuable trophy. Of course, uh, my views on the Cupity Cup, Cupity Cup, 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 Cup are well known. Uh, the least valuable, the most awkward, the most confusing of all English the trophies. Cup. Yeah, the Cupity Cup, 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 Cup. The uh, but I do think that winning the Europa League is an achievement. Whatever Mourinho has said in the past, I'm sure he only said it to torn teams that hadn't made it into the Champions League or hadn't won Ra the Champions Ra Rafa League. Rafa Benitez is Chelsea. Yeah, so it's a, um, I think the Europa League is a valuable thing to win. And I think that teams who win the Europa League tend to do quite well in the Champions League in, in upcoming years. I think it's a valuable tournament. You're still beating very good teams in Europe. You are... 
getting your squad to a very, very good place. I think that is a legitimate trophy. I don't think Euro Europa League can be fully discounted. You know, the funny you mention that because the League Cup might be an odd trophy, but it was the one that he first won at Chelsea mm. that then propelled them You're right, actually. You're onto right. greater things. And I do, I look at that first period Chelsea and he talked then about winning the League Cup was the one that led to the habit of victory. And for him, he does believe winning trophies is a habit. Yeah. So you can Even say, in pre-season. You can say these odd three that they've morphed together into this this trio are moments in United's transformation and that's what he's celebrating. A Champions League place that has now come gives Jose bigger budgets to attract even more uh, high-priced, high-profile, now willing players who wouldn't have come if they weren't in the Champions League place. It essentially hastens United's return to being a true title-challenging team once more. Maybe that's what he was celebrating. But I also think from a human perspective, only in victory, do we realise just how much the stress of Old Trafford has gotten to Jose Mourinho? I mean, there was a moment of brief tears for him at the final whistle. Tears of relief, no doubt, of long repressed anxiety unleashed. And he told the media, he said, I'm really happy because this has probably been the hardest season uh, as a manager. And now they've won the Europa League. They survived. How did they do it? Surviving losses to Feyenoord and Fenerbahce in the group stages. Inching past Rostov and and Celta Vigo. It doesn't matter how they did it. All that matters is that they did. Winning the Europa League, it's like landing on the square that allows you to climb half the board on a shoots and ladders game. Mm -hmm. It's a game changer. Fast tracks the process of United's transformation, the money it brings, the players who come in, and they're back. What's interesting, David, to me, is just watching the, 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 the names of the players who are now being linked to United. Griezmann, Murata. United are going to let the money flow this summer. And the big question is, is Mourinho going to change his style? Because oh, the pragmatic, draw-loving, saggy mush that we've watched all season, can it become an ambitious, initiative-loving kind of football that United fans and their noodle and tractor engine sponsors truly crave? Uh, so I think those tears at the final whistle, by the way, are not just about this season at United. I think it's about the last two years, right? So it's about the terrible failure he had at Chelsea, the worst season in his managerial career, cut short halfway through, fired after that loss to Leicester City. And um, it's about redemption. It's about coming back. So I think that I sort of understand that. It was actually one of the more human reactions I've ever seen from Jose Mourinho. Look, I've watched Jose Mourinho's teams play a lot, and the style doesn't change, and the style won't change. But it's all about personnel. There are certain players whom 2004-2005 Chelsea, 2005-06 Chelsea, to a lesser extent, but still, were able to play in that defensive system. But when they got those chances on the counter-attack, they finished again and again and again. Man United did not hurt for chances to score goals. They were, uh, they were profligate in front of goal. They just, they just wasted so many chances. They didn't convert many opportunities. To build a Premier League side, you've got to build them around spine. I think he's going to... He'll be very, very good at that. I think the drawing this year was not that intentional. It wasn't what he was trying to do. I just think he didn't have ultimately enough options, enough flow going forward in order to convert a lot of opportunities. I remain bullish slash Afraid. scared of Man United where they're going. With Champions League qualification, they can compete in the transfer market. The Man United brand is still really strong. Jose Mourinho is a manager who attracts the best players in Europe, best players around the world to go and uh, play for him. Last word on United from the mouth of Ander Herrera, who I thought quite beautifully said post-game, this is just football, win no one, just footballers, but we have an audience. 
and I want to dedicate this trophy to the victims in Manchester. In other Premier League news, Rog, uh, shocking news coming uh, from South London this week. Uh, Big Sam leaving Crystal Palace, resigning. Truly terrible news, David. Stunned the Crystal Palace faithful by resigning. He said, I have no ambitions to take another job, um, was in his message. Uh, he's, he said he's done with the Premier League. Uh, I, mean, I think in this farewell, we glimpsed the immense strain of being a Premier League coach, and we'll miss that man. Yeah, and just uh, told uh, the chairman, uh, our mate Steve Parrish, that he just couldn't, uh, wanted to spend more time with his family, wanted to enjoy life. You know, he's had a, he's had a tough uh, year and a half, uh, all things considered. And, uh, you know, good luck to Big Sam. We will miss you. Yeah. We really will. We love your humanity. Oh, I love this. Underneath the, the kind of veneer of old school throwback and, and that f- topping of the enormous cranium, there is a savvy, stat-driven manager. Uh, there's a reason why his team's <laughs> have always survived the drop. And I will miss him. He's an incredible character and a human being that's going to be very hard to replace. Gary Monk, ex-Swansea, ex-Leeds, amongst the favourites to replace him. Be a fascinating uh, tactical uh, arrival at Crystal Palace. The only area you might not be able to compensate is in the eyes of the light pie manufacturing industry around Selhurst Park. We wish everyone at Palace well. Another management change, Marco Silva appointed... Uh, at Watford, the former uh, Hull darling. And another news that I just find That's truly... That's a good appointment, Rog. Fantastic for Watford. Yeah. Stoke, rumoured to be preparing a $60 million package to sign striker Wayne Rooney. Uh-huh. Pair him with Peter Crouch. It'd be a world-class front line <laughs> if it was still 2004. They could both still knock him in in the Premier League, Rog. I don't think it's a... Look, when you're looking for a goal scorer, Stoke certainly need goal scorers. Uh, I don't think it's a bad acquisition. I might, I might, I might haggle with the, over the price a little instead of £60 million for that package. But I still think Wayne Rooney has some Premier League goals in him. Someone at Stoke has been watching that movie, was yeah. it? Red, where the old kind of CIA operatives come out of retirement one last time mm. and get back into the breach. It's going to be... Oh, do massive numbers at the box office. Can't wait until he scores against Everton. <laughs> okay, Rog, uh, to the championship playoff final after a nil-nil game Welcome that dragged friends. on for more of its 120 minutes. Felt like felt like three days. Huddersfield Town defeated Reading uh, 4-3 on penalties. <laughs> Ridiculous way to get into the Premier League. To secure promotion to the top flight. The last time the West Yorkshire side was up there, 1972, Rog. Yeah, and it, because this game is worth $218 million and it was so awful on the eye, the commentator just spent the whole second half just mumbling again, $218 million. Did I tell you it was worth $218 million? But sod the quality, feel the width, Huddersfield Town, the Terriers uh-huh. saw off Danny Williams Reading, the Biscuit Men. Mm. In a game that was really hand-to-hand combat, wholly lacking in quality in the final third. I was actually worried that they had 10 men on the field who could actually hit the penalty anywhere yeah. in the general I vicinity. I thought Scudamore was going to come on at some point point. go, you know what, we're going to be fine with 19. Yeah. Let's forget about it. Yeah. We don't need 20. Oh, we'll just adjust the fixtures. I thought Huddersfield were going to get super fan Patrick Stewart, who barely managed to stay awake through that second <laughs> half, onto the field. For the penalty shootout, but God love them, Huddersfield. Back to the top flight after 45-year absence. It is a gritty northern Yorkshire market town, if anyone 
has ever been there. You'll you'll know it and love it. It's a phenomenal place, full of characters. It, I think the the city was built on the wool industry. Population one hundred and sixty two thousand. It's Fort Collins, Colorado sized, and the glory of the story is their manager, David Wagner, German-American. Wagner. Born near Mainz. Yeah. Son of an American serviceman father and a German mother. He won eight caps for the US in the, let's just say, the dark days of Steve Sampson. So technically, we have another American in the top flight. Though his footballing education, make no mistakes, was from his time in Germany, growing up there, playing in the Bundesliga, learning to manage alongside Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund. His whole upspringing was incredibly Teutonic, as were the five Germans he brought in to revitalise that team. When he inherited them in 2015, they were in the relegation zone. And then this dizzying run, which has been really propelled by his obsessive attention to detail, the pressing, hard-charging, high-work-rate transitional football, which he demands from his team. He calls it Terrier's football. And he says, we're not the biggest dog. We are small, but we are aggressive. We are not afraid. We like to compete with the big dogs. We're quick, mobile. We have endurance. We never give up. This small dog has fighting spirit for sure. Partly because of this, I think John Green tweeted at the final whistle, I look forward to watching Liverpool find a way to lose at Huddersfield next season. <laughs> oh, the darkness. Believe in your team, John. A busy weekend across Europe, Rog, with cup finals in Spain, Germany and France. And in Italy, Roma, Rog, says goodbye to an absolute legend. Francesco Totti. No, one of the good ones. One of the great ones. Age Mm. 40, Roma, the club he supported as a child. 786 appearances, 307 goals. And he summed up his valiant career of wonder. 786 appearances. It's just amazing. It's a lot more than me. Yeah, many of them with with long hair. He had so many hairstyles, Rod. Yes, so many. None of them bald. Yeah. And he finished with tears in his eyes. Do you know the feeling of being a kid, he said, and dreaming about something beautiful, but then your mum wakes you up to go to school when you only want to carry on sleeping. You try to hold on to the thread of the story you were caught up in, but you can't do it. This time, it's not a dream. It's real life. That's how he described the move Mm -hmm. from his long-term career into civilian life. And I adore that he has lived so long, living out his childhood dream. We will publish his whole speech in this week's Raven newsletter subscribe and savour his magnificent poetry. It truly is one of the great retirement speeches. Definitely even better than John Terry's. Yes, Dave, I can tell from that look in your eye. What a man. Did he have a gondola? What a life. (laughs) What a man. What a life. Grazie, Totti. Grazie. Q Davos. Totti joke. Well, first of all, Italian Twitter went crazy, uh, Rog. I read all sorts of things like, oh, they don't pick up the garbage. Our city politicians are completely corrupt. And now we've lost Totti. Like people in Rome are devastated by it. But my favorite tweet by far from an account I follow, Scottish Tweets, which collects, you know, just the most ludicrous uh, tweets written in some bizarre version of, uh, of the English language uh, by our Scottish friends north of the border. And uh, Scottish tweets uh, showed an account, some uh, international football social media account had sort of issued a very soft competition which has described Totty in three words. <laughs> and some Scotsman had responded, Scottish for potato. Totty, I'd like some Totty. I'd like some Totties. Pile my plate with them. Toast. Bacon Scottish for potato. So classic. That's uh, how he'll I'll be miss, remembered I'll in miss Scotland. That Scottish potato. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. 
Christian, Pulisic, Rog. Oh, and Dortmund, oh, oh. they beat Frankfurt. Yeah, and boy, did he change the course of that in the yeah. German Cup final. Subbed on, immediately won the decisive penalty, which was then penenka I actually didn't even know Dortmund Aubameyang. were involved. I thought it was just Pulisic oh, who won the German. That's how single much handedly. I read. Oh, and they won the fourth German Cup of their history mm. with that 2-1 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. Tenacious P became the youngest American mm. to win a title for his club in Europe's big five leagues. Beautiful photograph of him kissing the cup. No doubt his first kiss captured for posterity. And he finishes the club season with 43 appearances, five goals, 13 assists. Not bad for an 18-year-old. And that kiss in the cup was just, I think, lip practice for 2018 World Cup when we win it all. At Soccer Quamp, the great Chris Anderson tweeted, and it really sums it all up so well. He said, Christian Pulisic has now won the German Cup. A little over two years ago, he was playing for a youth team in Pennsylvania, which is absolutely staggering, his trajectory. And that's the crucial point for me. He is still just a teen, a kid who lived with his dad until a couple of months ago. And we are going to see a transition in the next 12 months of this kid in his persona as he becomes a real man on the field with more responsibility and playing time and off it. I mean, he's living in a brash, moneyed world of elite European footballers. And the transition that we're going to see from the quiet man of few words, he's going to truly find his voice, and it's going to be fascinating to listen to that voice and watch him evolve. Brilliant, I, I, I predict more tattoos, first step. Can't wait. Uh, in MLS... MLS! Two Western Conference derbies... This past weekend, Seattle defeated Portland 1-0 courtesy of a fourth-minute Christian Roldan header. And in the California Clasico, L.A. beat the Earthquakes in San Jose behind a Gio Dos Santos brace. Spanking. We've got to add, while we're talking about American soccer, huge mazel tov to the U.S. under-20 men's national team. Yeah. Fantastic squad. Reached the round of 16 at the under-20 World Cup. Yeah. Battled to a 1-1 draw against Saudi Arabia, having been reduced to 10 men after South End on C's finest. Camera Khan Vickers uh-huh. was sent off for two slightly curious yellows. Injuries and suspension mean they're going to play the round of 16 game on Thursday with no Aaron Herrera, Derek Jones or CCV. Defence is definitely going to be a little patchy, but they face New Zealand. But I wonder if Shane Smeltz's son is going to be playing Dave <laughs> Grandson, 7, maybe. 7am Eastern time. On FS1, tune in because this team are a joy to behold. Godspeed. Yeah, they've got to beat New Zealand. Uh, Rog, also England have made the last 16 as well, despite having a plethora of young Everton players. And I couldn't in the care squad, less. Rog. Even about Come your on. young Evertonians. In time. Give them time. Okay. USA. Your USA. Champions League USA. final weekend. You'll be tuned in at 3.45 on Wednesday morning. I get, I've got to tell you, I did get up at five o'clock in the morning to watch the last game against Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And I did so willingly with joy in my heart. Oh, that's amazing, Rod. Your Champions League final weekend looks like this. Saturday at 2.45 p.m. Eastern Time, Juventus versus Real Madrid on Network Fox. At 10 p.m. that evening, you can watch the U.S. men's national team versus Venezuela in a friendly live from Salt Lake City. Rio that game Tinto. is on Fox Sports 1. And Sunday in MLS, Orlando hosts Chicago at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That game also 
on Fox Sports One. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon, find us Google Sports, just click on the Emporium page. Many places gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week, Rocher? A book. Oh. A beautiful book. Uh-huh. Salt Houses by Halia Alian. Mm. Debut novel. It's really a poetic wonder. Tracing the dispersal of four generations of a Palestinian family propelled by conflict across the West Bank, Amman, Kuwait City, Boston, Paris. And the book explores how Arab identity and their politics change through exile, from the religious to the utterly secular, from the anti-occupation activists to the inured. Ultimately, it's a book that examines the complex range of emotions humans can have in diaspora, Catalyzed by the realization that the place you yearn to connect to is no longer there anymore. It's a stunning, haunting read which you'll carry with you for an age. I don't know about your cardio preferences, <laughs> Rog, but I've been through, uh, I, I wonder about them a lot, what you're doing, but I've been through a running to make your head so skinny. I've been through a running phase. I've been through a long jump rope uh, phase, which is my attempt to make Skipping sound a bit more just describe uh, that regiment very quickly. It's what? amazing. Jump you, roping. You jump roping. Jump roping. Got to do about a thousand singles, about four hundred doubles, about five hundred crossovers. Is I love my I love my skipping. Is this a year? No, 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 no. First session. I love my skipping, <sighs> but my new one, Rog. Double. I dutch. love my brand new purchase, my Schwinn Airdyne Pro Exercise Bike. It's it's all air, Roger. It's all air. It's like all air. You sort of has a fan and you pedal really fast. Your arms go and your arms go, your arms go. Uh, it's a fantastic bike. Set it to the Tabata. I do the Tabatas 20 on, 10 off, 20 on, 10 off, 20 on, 10 off times eight. Uh, I love it. It's a bargain, Rog, at $999. I know what you're thinking, not worth it. But the health benefits of the Schwinn Airdyne Pro Exercise Bike, I'm not being paid to say this in any way even though I did have a lovely uh, talk with the man uh, at, on the uh, customer hotline because I'm having some problems with the left arm, and he promised me that if I talked about it, he might send somebody out quicker to fix my beloved bike. Um, the Schwinn Airdyne Pro Exercise Bike Silver. Get one, get fit. Hope Pulisic's got one too. <sighs> Where'd you keep her? Where'd you keep her? I've got a gym in the basement of my Hamptons house. It's where we were going to put the museum. But you, the, you went off the idea, so I turned it into a gym. Oh, we've got the eye. The, the museum's been built here yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, and it's built. Keep so sending hard. in your stuff, by the way, for the People's History mm. of American Soccer Hall of Fame. We just got an amazing poster from the 1994 World Cup. And the, just all of them posing under a huge sign that says, Say no to drugs. Uh, visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. A new Raven flies this week, oh, in which producer Lexi chronicles her trip to the FA Cup final at Wembley. Uh, I sourced her some tickets from a mate. She sat in the Chelsea end. I'm very interested to. She uh, said hear she went looking for fights <laughs> yeah, and was exactly. severely disappointed. Yeah, she probably. She's, nobody can match up to Lexi. No one can take her out. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always uh, email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex my dumb Explosion. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. Oh, to see a sucker. To see a sucker. To see a sucker. Is that your analysis? Kung fu fight in America. Abracado rock on, mate. Oh, love you, Dave. Love you, Rog. Love you too, Big Sam. <laughs>